Hi everyone, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm with Pete Wargent, who is a top selling author. He's a market analyst, blogger, economic expert, chartered accountant, uh, philanthropist, property buyer's agent, and he's also a personal coach. So he does some pretty incredible things with a lot of people. He's hugely successful in his field. And I, I came across him by reading a couple of his books. I reached out to him and he's kind enough to lend a little bit of his time to share some insights on financial success, financial freedom, particularly geared towards youth and hopefully some strategies that you guys can take away and implement into your own lives. So, uh, Pete, how are you going today? Great, thanks. It's good to be here, Joe, and I'm uh, looking forward to having a chat with you. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, but before we even start, I'd, I'd love to sort of just define what we sort of want to get out of this today. So running through it all, I'd I'd like to get an understanding of how is it that you became a millionaire before the age of 35, the importance of financial freedom to you, and uh, why you think it's important, or if you think it would be important to, to other people and just people in general, and how you believe that young kids might be able to implement some strategies in their lives, even as young as like 10, just some simple strategies that they can use to start moving towards that life where they, they do have financial freedom. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a real, um, that's a really key question because um, I think a lot of the, the wealth type books and literature out there, they kind of, they promote this idea of um, you know, people driving Ferraris and living a luxury lifestyle. But the, the fact is that money is important in one way or another to all of us. And, um, and that's why in my latest book, I wanted to write a book that was targeted at parents and for teenagers, because um, <clears throat> a lot of what you read out there is probably targeted more at um, older people. But of course, if you can get good financial habits in place at a young age, um, that's only going to help you all the way through life. So that's why I wanted to do something a bit different um, and look at some of the ways that people can put really good financial habits in place um, from uh, you know, from the age of seven all the way up, you know, um, in terms of learning how to save and learning how to spend less than you earn and getting a first job and all of those things that we don't really get taught about much in schools. We just pick up messages from the people around us. Beautiful. Love, lovely. So you, you've started off with information for kids as young as seven. Yes. Um, so the book uh, is written for parents. Uh, so the driver of it was actually becoming a, a parent myself so um we'd um you know like a lot of people I'd, I'd read a lot about finance over the years but most of it um was really targeted more for adults but i wanted to sort of to find out well you know i'd, I'd read a lot that you what you teach kids at a young age is very important because um it's well known through uh uh developmental biology that a lot of people's programming in life is in place at a very young age by the age of seven and people say habits are important but I was thinking yeah that's interesting but what does it actually mean in real you know, in the real world what does it actually mean especially because the world of money is now changing because mm -hmm. uh, when when we were growing up it was uh, as you can hear as a poem it was you know pounds and pennies uh, in your pocket but these days for a lot of people they don't even see cash very much it's more you know, it's just a number on a bank screen and people paying for things with cards and afterpay and things like that. So, uh, yeah, so there's a whole range of things that the book covers. 
Uh, but the idea is, is just putting the habits in place at a young age and then you can follow through with that through your whole adult life as well. Cool, beautiful. Now you're talking about habits there with uh, fi- financial education, financial freedom, financial, financial habits. What would be looking at kids as young as maybe seven, between let's say seven and 13, what would you suggest as maybe two or three really strong habits that they could implement at that age that would help set them up for financial freedom or financial success in the future? Yeah, that's um, so one of the things I realized when I wrote a book is that a lot of people aren't readers. So what I did right in the first chapter, I said, right, if, if you're not a reader and you're not going to read the book, here's 20 bullet points. So yeah, even if you just read this one page and get your kids to do these 20 things, they'll be better off than probably 99% of their peers because most of personal finance is just common sense and letting time uh, do the heavy lifting for you. Uh, so from a, from a young age, I suppose... Some of the good habits that you could get kids to put in place is to uh, keep three money boxes or piggy banks. So uh, there, there was an old um, sort of saying that's as old as the hills, you know, save a third and spend a third and give a third. Uh, now, the, oh. the exact split, yeah, the, the exact split doesn't necessarily matter, but it's just teaching those principles from a young age. Um, now, one of the things um, as a parent that you can begin to introduce is the idea of. Um, linking um, valuable work to money. So I think introducing the idea of doing household chores for, for kids to earn half of their pocket money from a young age, mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a, a really good way to uh, form a positive link between work and money. And then, um, and then I suppose if you can just uh, begin to introduce the idea of a high interest savings account so kids can see um, how saving their money actually begins to work for them, uh, especially if it's a low fee account that pays a good rate of interest, then they can start to learn about the principles of compound growth and multiplying their money. So those are three things, really simple stuff, by the way, uh, that parents can do from a young age. Cool. Awesome. Uh, I just, if I could just touch, I, I love the three, the, the, you've mentioned the three piggy banks ideas. I, I've obviously come across it as the, the three buckets. Um, implemented to me through through some of Tony Robbins teaching who I know you're also familiar with but the three piggy banks for the kids that's really cool is that your own concept using piggy banks oh no look it's uh, I mean especially in Britain that was a thing that's um, the idea is uh, you know dates back decades and decades it's, so I guess that's one of the things with the book is that a lot of these ideas aren't necessarily new uh, yeah. but what I've tried to do is take them and then move them forward into the 21st century. Um, and especially things like, um, for example, using cash uh, to pay for things. I mean, that's a really good example of how a lot of adults don't do that these days. But mm-hmm. even today, I mean, I can feel the difference between, you know, if you, if you go down to the servo and uh, pay for $100 of fuel in cash, it feels a heck of a lot different uh, to just swiping a card. Uh, so it's a really, that's a good, simple example of how, and the world has changed, but also for, for youngsters as well, they have to think quite carefully about choice of career because some jobs are becoming and skills are becoming obsolete and others are becoming um, more in demand by the day. Yep, cool, for sure. Awesome. Uh, if we could just shoot back, you were mentioning about high interest savings account. Now, I would guess that one of the concerns for a lot of, well, maybe not if, if they're not hugely um, up to date with the inflationary rates and sort of how that sort of reflects on, on savings account and money moving backwards in 
in bank accounts, generally speaking, what sort of interest would parents have to be looking for so that the, the kids were actually making money on the savings account and not having it move backwards? Yeah, so this is, uh, this is different um, at different times in the cycle and, um, and in different countries even. Um, so in Australia, we have what's called an inflation target of 2 to 3%. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, in various periods, in fact, in, in the past three years, inflation has been under the target. But if you assumed uh, on average through the cycle um, that the cost of living um, and consumer prices are going to rise by 2.5%, um, ideally, um, your money would be achieving a rate of return that's more than that. Um, now obviously, a savings account is, um, if you think about the risk hierarchy, the savings account is, is the uh, essentially the least risky thing you can do with your money. Um, so you're not going to get a high rate of return on savings. Um, but um, there are various products um, that are targeted specifically at people wanting um, to do that. So I wouldn't, I won't recommend any on a podcast because I don't know yeah, about sorry. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, individual circumstances differ, but um, yeah, check uh, check out some of the things that are on offer. Um, but yeah, in particular, if you're looking at stuff uh, in relation to your kids, uh, trying to find something with zero fees is particularly important because all those little fees on your bank account, they might not seem much individually, mm-hmm. uh, but if you add them all up, they can actually they can really start to hurt over time. Yes, for sure, 100%. Uh, a quick look at Super will sort of run through that pretty heavily, which you touch on in your books, for sure. Uh, I would love to sort of come back to your comment on compound growth and its tying into savings account, low fees. And a lot of people struggle with that concept of compound growth. Einstein, uh, considering it as one of the, the strongest forces uh, known to man, if once you sort of grasp the concept of it. Do you have a, uh, a simple principle for, that you would use to explain to kids so they can understand compounding, how it works and how insanely powerful it can be? Yeah, it's different for different ages. So I recently spoke um, at a school's event and speaking to the year 12s uh, was, wasn't too difficult because those guys were uh, business and economics students, but then speaking to some of the kids who are much younger, um, to engage them, you know, talking about rates of return and uh, their compound interest isn't going to uh, grab their attention. So uh, certainly one of the things I can remember all the way back from when I started in junior school, uh, back in those days, we used to have um, the little Casio um, calculators. And I, I used to play this uh, silly game at the back of the, the class in school where I used to add the number two to itself and just sit there hitting, uh, just adding it over and over and seeing how high it I could get a number to go. Uh, so that's essentially, that's just linear growth, you know, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12. Yep. And it takes a very long time to get anywhere. Uh, but if you do the same thing by multiplying the number two to it, um, by itself, um, two, four, eight, 16, 32, um, it's remarkable how quickly that number um, explodes into something that the, the little uh, Casio calculators couldn't even deal with. Yeah, uh, and that's essentially right. compound growth. It's, it's growth upon growth. Uh, so in terms of how that applies to individuals, um, well, if you've got um, $100 and you can get a 10% return on that money each year, uh, in the first year, the return is $10. But in the second year, uh, the return is going to be bigger because um, you're getting growth on $110 in the second year. 
and therefore your return is higher. So in the early years, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of difference. But if you follow that, um, essentially like a snowball rolling down a hill, you can continue that over your lifetime. The numbers become so big um, that you can't even um, imagine how big they they get uh, towards the end. It's a bit like a hockey stick. Uh, the big returns come at the end, and it curves up upwards really sharply. Cool. I like that one. I like that one. Awesome. Beautiful. All right. If uh, if we could sort of jump back a little bit, I, was, oh, I wanted to start with this, but you were t- you were touching on those things, so I thought I'd go with you. Um, grow, growing up, I'd just love to hear a little bit more about you personally, and maybe so some of the kids can relate. If there, or even as you being an adult, would you be able to sort of run through two or three of some of the biggest challenges that you personally have come across, and how you have overcome them? Um, in life in general or as it relates to money? Could be one of both. If, you, if you've got one of both, that'd be, that'd be really cool. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think people have a tendency to, you know, they look at people who have achieved the level of success in their, their chosen field and they, they uh, sort of judge the book on the page that they came in on and they yeah. think, well, you know, it's easy for you because, you know, you've, you've got this behind you and you've achieved this level of success. But, um, yeah, like most people, um, you know, my my life and career has had its fair share of ups and downs. Um, so, as you can hear, I grew up in England um, and um, in a place called Sheffield that was um, pretty depressed sort of a place back then because um, the steel industry closures, the coal mines closing down, and so on. Um, so, not from a um, silver spoon background by any by any means. My uh, my dad worked in. Um, he was a probation officer or social worker, um, and my mum did some teaching, um, but from a very large family of uh, seven. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's that's where I, I grew up. Um, through, I suppose one of the biggest challenges for me growing up is that because my dad moved around a lot for his work, we went to all different schools in all different parts of the country, um, and that can that can give you a certain level of sort of a lack of confidence or insecurity think um yeah and certainly something that i struggled with through my teenage years and you know i suppose outwardly quite confident and self-asserting but uh, always wanting to fit in uh, so that was a big challenge um and certainly when i went into my professional career as a chartered accountant uh, the first couple of years i found it very difficult uh, to adjust to that world um but eventually you, you learn these things through perseverance so uh yeah, look, um, you know, I've had my fair share of ups and downs through the journey. But, um, yeah, I guess uh, you do learn as you go and persistence gets you there in the end. Persistence, man. Okay, cool. Awesome. The, with, um, just, just interested with your family moving around when you were younger, you said that confidence was, was a big knock there for you. It was a little bit difficult. Like outwardly, you looked confident. Inwardly, not so much. How did you... Uh, was there was there a specific point where that turned? Was it just a gradual habit? Was there some technique that you came across to help build that confidence? What was it for you? Gee, Riz, that's a tough question. Um, yeah, I think what well, part of the thing is it's different in Australia to some extent, but it, in Britain, um, but it, people speak differently, very differently in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. So it's it's immediately obvious. Uh, somebody like me coming from Yorkshire, moving down closer to London, you're, you're, it's very obvious that you're an outsider. Uh, so um, 
struggling to fit in, especially if you go around from different schools uh, across the social spectrum, so from comprehensive schools and up to grammar schools and so on, um, it's, it's the, the class system in Britain is much more rigid, uh, or it certainly um, has been historically. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I mean, how do, how do you achieve um, anything? I guess it's just through getting some early wins under your belt and then just learning as you go. Um, and, um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I suppose a really good example is public speaking. You know, a lot of people list it as one of their biggest fears. Um, but one of the things I've noticed is that if you do public speaking every week, it's very, very easy. If yeah. you do it once a year, it's very difficult. So repetition is key, I think. Cool. Awesome. So would it be, was public speaking one of the things that helped you in confidence, like getting out of your comfort zone, finding things that you were deliberately uncomfortable with and doing them anyway? Oh, yeah, definitely. And one of the things that I did as soon as I left school, a big thing for me is that I wanted to go and travel, um, which is indirectly how I ended up in Australia. Um, but... Um, yeah, and I think that that is the, especially for a young person, uh, traveling, going away to university, doing all those sorts of things. I mean, that's that's how you learn to uh, get out into the big world and uh, stand on your own two feet. Uh, but yeah, I went off and back uh, as a backpacker for a year. Um, and when I came to university time, I, I moved as far away as I could from my parents, um, <laughs> who were currently uh, at that point in time were separating. Um, so... Yeah, I suppose uh, it was a del deliberate thing for me was to get out of the comfort zone and travel. Um, and I, even today, I still love traveling. Cool. Uh, how, if you, if you had have made a different decision, if you hadn't have got out of your comfort zone, if you had have stayed where it was comfortable, if you had have done the easy things, uh, because obviously getting out of your comfort zone and doing those uncomfortable things is, is tough it's at the start. And you like, I mean, I know the payoffs there at the end. You obviously know the payoffs there at the end. How different would your life have been had you not made those little decisions to be uncomfortable in the beginning? Um, yeah, well, I suppose this is um, there's, there's an old um, saying that you're you're the sum of the of the the six people that you spend the most time with, and I, I do believe that's true. And I think if I'd have just stayed in the um, in my peer group, um, I mean, I'm pretty fairly confident that I could say the the path my life would have taken because nearly everyone does exactly the same thing in that part of England. It was, um, you go on to, you either get a job leaving when you leave school or you go to university. Um, you save up for a long period of time, you buy your first house and a couple of cars, have kids. And it's a very sort of very structured uh, path that people follow. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's quite easy to imagine having followed down that path. Um, but um, I suppose having done something a bit different, um, traveling, going overseas, it, it opened, um, opened my eyes to some different options, I suppose. And then over time, especially once you become self-employed, uh, you've got the choice of, you, know, you don't, um, you know, when you, a lot of jobs, you can't choose your, your work colleagues and the people you hang around with. Uh, but when you're doing your own thing, um, that's much more within your control. So, uh, I think it, you know, the the difference in the end game can be enormous um, just by taking the different path, but it doesn't mean there aren't uh, challenges along the way uh, as well, of course. Yeah, cool. Right. Good. Um, I, I love what you said there about the some of the six people you spend the most time with. It's like uh, 
you can almost, you know, if you're in the same environment, it's very easy to almost predict where you're going to go because the people around you have already done it. Right, yeah, some of it's subconscious. Good. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it, we're humans are quite predictable in some ways. And we, mm. we, even if it's um, unconscious, we pick up signals um, and behavioral traits. And it starts at a very young age because when we're born, we've obviously got no, uh, no idea how to survive on this planet. So we just, we pick up signals from our parents and the other people around us about what's a normal way to behave. And that carries on all the way through your life. Um, so if the if you're the six people closest to you in your life are all doing certain things at a certain time, it's very very likely you're going to be doing something similar. Um, and it's it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it depends on the people you hang out with. Uh, so if you surround yourself with uh, negative people or pessimistic people or people who try to pull you down, um, in the end that's not going to help you much. Uh, so it doesn't mean you ditch people entirely who are that way inclined, but um, you would probably do better to surround yourself with uh, optimistic people and positive people, and especially people who are genuine friends and cheer your wins, and not people who uh, you know they uh, sort of pull you down all the time. Awesome, beautiful. How would you, coming from a parent standpoint? If you wanted your, you wanted to be, you know, you don't want to sort of be nitpicking every single person. Obviously, they they're going to interact with different people, being being your kids and going to school and doing those sorts of things. But how, what would be some things that you would maybe personally do to ensure that the people around your child were having a strong positive influence to obviously give your your kids the best chance growing up to have that sort of impact as well. Yeah, I think um, I suppose you know I don't like to impose on my my kids too much you know they um it's it's an interesting one because i I was always a bit um i suppose a bit laissez-faire i suppose when it comes to choice of school and stuff like that because i I went to any number of schools growing up and it never seemed to do me too much harm as i wasn't overly worried about starting school and so on but the interesting thing uh, was that my daughter even from the age of two and three she was absolutely desperate to get out there and go to preschool and all of that stuff so um and she just loves it um so i, I don't um i don't sort of uh, tell her who she has to be friends with or anything like that but um i, I guess the the thing is that if you can encourage them uh, to you know to make the, the right choices and try to surround themselves with um like-minded people and just try and minimize the exposure to uh sort of energy sapping people that, that will help you in the long run uh, but I don't. Um, I don't say who you can and can't be friends with. I think that's up up to kids to learn for themselves. Awesome. So just looking at it as as guiding, and uh, being a voice of reason if you can be. I try to be. Not always successful. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, just shoot it back. Financial freedom. Why is that important to you, and why do you think it's important for? Why Why would you think it's a good thing to even have kids focusing on? What is it to well, you, first of all? Yeah, I think um, yeah, financial independence, I suppose, is is peace of mind. I, I think, and and the choice to to do with your life what you what you want to. Because um, you know, I, I had a, an enjoyable professional career as a chartered accountant, but um, I wouldn't say it was necessarily what I was passionate about. So um, yeah, so for me, it's I guess it's peace of mind and choice. Um, but I think um, more broadly, for other people. 
Um, it might also just mean some security um, because there, there is a tendency, I think, sometimes uh, to look at you know, uh, wealth creation and investing as a selfish, uh, selfish pursuit. But you just never know when you might need some money for um, you know, health issues or family health issues or you might have a family member who needs financial assistance. You, you just never know when you might need it. Um, so me, um, uh, earning more and investing more, it gives you more choices and freedom, of course, but it also gives you more choices in, in terms of what you do with that money. And, uh, and that's why the, the idea of, um, of giving a third when you're younger, uh, it might not be a third, it might be 10%, the old principle of tithing, but um, that, that actually is a really positive habit uh, that firstly teaches your brain that you've got more than you need, but secondly allows you to do some good with that money as well. Awesome. Really, really cool. Beautiful. Uh, the, uh, in your books, I've read that when you, when you were sort of doing your jobs before you got your own personal financial independence and you went to work because you chose to, uh, you were you would often find yourself becoming bored in careers after twelve to eighteen months, and I'd I'd love if you could share your thoughts on uh, why being financially free can help there, and why um, I, I, I'm personally very similar. I've not lasted in a job not working for myself longer than twelve months, and I see a lot of kids with attention spans changing from one thing to the other to the other to the other. Uh, financial freedom why that would be something that's attractive to them if they're getting bored from jobs and they just want to chop and change all the time yeah i think uh it's different with different careers the, the, the problem i always had um working as an accountant in professional practice is that we'd have these uh sometimes the meetings that would go on for hours and hours and they just seemed to go around in circles and i just hated that you know, the lack of ability to be out of that environment. You know, you could be sitting there until seven, eight, nine o'clock at night stuck in a, a meeting that's, that's seemingly not achieving much. Um, yeah. So I found that very diff- difficult as a, uh, I suppose, a naturally fidgety sort of person and an active sort of a person. So it wasn't a good fit for me. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, and this isn't just about work. I, I was a bit of this way. Um, growing up so I got very interested in a number of sports um, so uh, things like a good British example would be uh, playing snooker or pool I you know, became obsessed with it for a couple of years but then you know then I was on to playing golf and then uh, I was interested in chess strangely enough for a couple of years and things like that um, but then I move on to a new interest um, so in terms of how that might um, uh, if you're financially independent, well, I suppose one of the nice things about being in business is that you can do any number of different things, um, even if they're along a similar theme. So, for example, you know, we put on uh, live events. Now, it's not my core business, but um, you know, once a year we might put on a live event with a, a high-profile speaker or a, or a team of speakers and things like that. So, it's not my core business, but it's something I find interesting and different. Um, and there's always new avenues you can explore. Cool. Beautiful. All right. Um, there, was, there was a line in your book I loved. It said, taking the bus or the willingness to take the bus made you a millionaire. Could you explain that a little bit for us? Yeah, I suppose like an oversimplification. Um, but um, 
the, the fact is that if anyone wants to get ahead in life financially, you have to be able to, um, at some level, you have to be able to spend less than you earn. And if you can't break that, that chain, um, then you'll never get ahead. Now, it sounds really simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and notionally, it is very simple. But it is amazing how um, if you look at people's uh, financial lives, if you looked at it on a chart, you would see as their income increases, then their expenses increase. And it's, it's kind of natural in a way because you know, you've worked harder and you feel like you deserve a treat. They deserve a new car or holiday or um, better a bottle of wine or whatever it is. Um, but it is amazing how expenses just track income for most people. Um, so unless you can break free from that, um, then it's going to be difficult for you to start to save, start to invest and, and sort of move ahead in a different way. Um, and it's, um, it's also the same for people when their, their income goes down, their expenses follow uh, very closely. So it's just that it's a difficult pattern to break free from. And it's um, a bit like Parkinson's law. Uh, where you know if you if you've got four hours for a meeting, the meeting will go for four hours, and it's just the same with finance. You know, if you earn a hundred grand, people spend a hundred grand. It's uh, uh, that's the the trickiest thing, really, for especially in today's uh, consumer environment where we're bombarded with advertising and dreams of a better lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Cool, beautiful. Uh, there was. When I was young, I remember always sort of looking and wanting like really fast, nice looking cars, all those sorts of things. Um, and a lot of young kids do. I've got a lot of young students that are sort of along that path and teenagers. Car loans, um, almost being a rite of passage or just a rite of passage these days. Do you, do you like the idea of a child's first big purchase being a new car? Uh, short answer, no. Um, I I think you know one of the twenty rules I've got for people who want to get ahead in life is not, is not to take out uh, a credit card or any form of consumer debt because if you as soon as you've created that monster, um, you know it'll start off being a new car, but then it might later be uh, white goods or televisions or who knows what else um, and. If, as soon as you go into consumer debt, um, you've, you've uh, said good day to our old friend Compound Growth, but Compound Growth is then working against you and not working for you. So, look, uh, you know, I was I was twenty, not not that long ago, and I can uh, I can remember what it was like, the desperation to get out there on the road, and of course, a car at that age is your number one uh, status symbol, I guess. Um, but um, if, if, in terms of um, how a parent might address that. Um, one of the um, one of the things you can do. You don't have to buy your children their first car because I don't think that necessarily helps them. But you could certainly introduce a matching concept where if they save for their first car, um, you might put in half or something along, along those lines. Uh, it's different for different people, of course. Uh, but I think taking out a consumer debt uh, at a young age, um, yeah, once you've broken that seal. Um, you're probably setting yourself on on a path to join, you know, the other ninety percent of the population that never achieves financial independence. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Beautiful. Uh, if if you could, I've already gone a little bit over, but if you if you had any other things for like parting parting words of wisdom for kids, young kids, parents, how to sort of help 
it, it may be even parents that, that don't have financial independence themselves and want to either take some steps themselves or ensure that their kids are on the correct path. What are, what are some things that they could do today to get their kids on that path and moving in that direction? Um, yeah, well, it's very difficult to do something today. I think the, the, most, the most immediate thing you can do is make a positive decision that you're going to do things differently. Um, because if you want to get a different result in the future, then almost by definition, you've got to do something a bit different to what you have been doing. Um, so uh, sit down, make a positive decision and set some really big goals. Um, because then even if you don't get everything right along the way, you can adjust course. But um, certainly that was a thing that I did with my now wife. We sat down at the age of, I think, 28 or something like that and said, right, um, you know, this is what we've done so far. We've done some good things, some not so good. Uh, but if we're going to get to where we want to get to, um, then let's make a positive decision, set some big goals. Um, and then even if you don't get everything right along the way, um, at least um, you can adjust course as you go. Cool. Would you, so if you, just touching on goals, first of all, do you have a, a recommended framework for setting goals? for people and second of all if you don't get the goal on your first attempt do you change the goal um yeah look i guess um yeah you mentioned tony robbins i'll get i'll give a book recommendation here um if, cool. if you're into books check out um a book called awaken the giant within by tony robbins now i know he's not everybody's cup of tea and some of his ideas are uh, sort of borrowed or drawn from elsewhere but there's an excellent framework in that book for how to set goals and not just financial goals all the way you know across your life so physical health goals financial goals um, and also some enjoyment you know some goals for uh, fun and travel and all those other things like toys um, there's I, I would find it hard to better um, that framework for setting goals it's comprehensive it's really easy and I just go back to that every year now and I just go back and look at what I did in the previous year, see where I've made some progress, see where I've gone backwards. Um, and it's, it's a very simple mechanism, but it's really good because it forces you to think about all the different areas. Uh, but it also allows you to give yourself some credit for where you've made progress because I think often people don't do that. And if you look back to where you were five years ago, you, you might be amazed at how far you've come. Um, but if, if not, then that's good because that's a signal that you need to do things a bit differently too. Yes, 100%. And just would you, if you didn't get to your goal in like some people will set their goals and they'll be massive and they'll give themselves 12 months to get it and they don't get there and then they're like, oh, well, don't worry about it. Not good enough. Won't bother going for that anymore. Is that, what, what would your approach be? If you don't hit your goal within a specific time limit, what do you change? Do you change the goal? Do you change your approach? What's, what's your opinion there? Um, it depends on the case in point. I, I like to set new goals every year. Um, and sometimes I, I look back. So I, I go to an annual event, actually, at the Gold Coast, where we do this exercise. And um, yeah, sometimes I come back the next year and I've made no progress at all towards a certain goal. Um, so I might just reset the same goal. Uh, but... I suppose, as you already uh, sort of touched on, um, one of the things you need to do is say, okay, well, if I haven't made progress towards that goal, what can I do today? What's, what's the number one most important thing I can do to uh, make some progress towards that goal? Because 
once you start progressing, uh, then things get a bit easier. It's when you stagnate, but it's not so easy. Cool. All right. Ah, amazing. Ah, do you want to tell us very, very briefly a little bit about your book, uh, Parents, that it would be useful for? I mean, it, I, I believe every parent should have read uh, some of, if not all of your books. I've, I've found them incredibly beneficial myself. But if you could share a little bit about that, I would love for the parents listening to, to go out and grab a copy and share it with their kids and, and help setting them up. Yeah, sure. So the book is called uh, Wealth Ways for the Young. Uh, and it's what the what the rich are teaching their kids about money today. Uh, uh, by me, Pete Wargent is my name. Easiest way to find me is just go to pewargent.com and there's a nice uh, sort of overview there of all my books, uh, where else you can read my uh, daily blog and things like that. Uh, so that's probably the easiest place to track it down. Um, and I'm sure we can include it in the show notes or similar. For sure. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Uh, Pete, do you have any other final words of advice? Any other thoughts for the parents, for the kids? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think most importantly, this sometimes gets forgotten in the the modern world, is just to enjoy the journey. Because at the end of the day, we're here not for a long time. And um, you'll you'll have some, uh, some... Good days and less good days, but if um, if you don't enjoy the journey, what's the point? So uh, yeah, uh, just um, and when it boils down to it, a lot of the things that we think are important in life really aren't that important. You know, when it when it comes down to what's important, uh, your family, your friends, uh, those are the key things. Uh, so don't worry too much about the small stuff as well. Cool, awesome, absolutely amazing, Pete. I appreciate your time hugely. Thank you so much. For all that, I'll make sure we've got some more notes and links up to your site, to your blog, to your books, uh, so that people can get a hold of those. I'm insanely grateful for your time, for all the knowledge and wisdom that you're putting out there for us to sort of share and, and take. Uh, it's, it's been really, really helpful for me and I'm sure for thousands and hundreds of thousands of other people. Hopefully, uh, even more after this will be really, really good. Absolute pleasure, Joe. And I uh, always enjoy your content too on Facebook and Instagram and elsewhere. So thanks very much. Cool, Pete. I appreciate that hugely. Thanks so much. Cheers, Joe. Bye-bye.